Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday night, and uh, I don't really have anybody this week, so starting from the Parsha, uh, I was able to get the last minute two sponsors. One is uh, Solid Kadol, God bless him. For uh, for stepping forward, and Moshe Garden, uh, for uh, who wants to thank Yardena for all the carpool help. I know, <laughs> I I know what that is. Uh, <laughs> that's when you when you have kids in school, you have the carpool syndrome, not the carpal tunnel syndrome, but the carpool syndrome. <clears throat> so, um, in that spirit, we say thank you. I hope we'll get sponsors for the, uh, let me see, the Aftorah and the uh, bio. But meanwhile, let's take a look at the Parsha, which is Parsha's bow. Really, I shouldn't have to say anything because if you have a, a Pesach Seder and you have a Haggadah or two, this is Parsha's bow, you know. <laughs> you, you, all your vorts that you memorize or whatever on the Passover Seder, they're all from Parsha's bow, pretty much. So, the one that uh, drew my attention now that I went through Shnai Mikvech Targum is 12-12, Perkid Base Pasigid Base, where God shall pass through Egypt and um, This is a very strange passage. With all the gods of Egypt, I will execute punishment. is a little bit of an interesting phrase. Don't say, I'll punish them. Or Aharog, Ashmido, some I'll destroy them. Fatim, which is not really so easy to translate. Fatim, I'll do judgments. You know, in English it doesn't sound right. <coughs> but Shvatim is, you know, punishment that's deserved. Get what I'm saying? You know, when you did, did a crime or this and the other, now I'm bringing you Shvatim, I'm bringing you things that, you know, that justice demands because of your actions. So apparently the Elohim Mitzrayim, must have done bad stuff. The problem, obviously, is what the heck is going on if there really is no such thing as El Hamitzrayim, not in reality. Right? In other words, why does Hashem say and make a point that a Bechol El Hamitzrayim has such a team? Basically, if you say, if you are right to be Mitzrayim and I'll kill the firstborn and, you know, that sort of thing, I get that. What's this business of a Bechol El Hamitzrayim has such a team? There are no other gods of Egypt. Matter of fact, if there's ever a phrase that seems to indicate that there is more than one God out there, this will be it. In other words, I'm the God of the Hebrews. The Egyptians have their gods. I'm going to show you who's boss, baby, you know. Not only am I going to take the Jews out of Egypt, I'm going to smash and bash and whatever all the gods of Egypt. And I'll show them they think they can mess with me. I'm the God of the Hebrews, and I can beat them up. That, of course, is ridiculous. Why? There are no gods of Egypt. Not in reality. Correct? All the Vodazars, all the religions are, are, are unreal. They don't represent anything that's real. Uh, not to the person who doesn't believe in that religion. 
And when you get to the gods of Egypt, they were very elaborate. And as I've said many times, they worship crocodiles and pussy ants as well as people and lions and tigers and bears of mine, the whole nine yards. They really did. Right? <coughs> crocodiles and frogs and whatever. They really did. So, um, if that's the case, then what God should have said is, you know, they're all full, but they, 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 they don't exist. It's all figment imagination. That's actually a true statement and a more powerful one. At least one would think from an intellectual perspective. Here you have a whole bunch of churches and temples and rituals and priesthoods and everything on Minhagim and this and that and the other. It's nitop. You understand? Because I can spit on an Egyptian god, meaning a statue of its god, because it's not there. <laughs> I know all these people think it's there, but it's not there. It's just not there. It's just a mistaken judgment. That's what you think. But God says, no, Elohim Yitzrayim Eseshvotim. And we even go on to say, which means it'd be something direct, which is really strange. You know, it like cries out for my monodian treatment. But as far as I'm aware, I didn't go rifle through all the murder. I don't think, uh, I don't think he discusses it. Maybe I'm wrong. Best as I can tell, I don't think he discusses it. So what does it mean? How you punish other gods if they don't really exist? It's actually a, 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 a tough question to answer. Now, it's so tough that, you know, two ways of dealing with it present themselves in a the classical mafarsha. I don't know how satisfactory they are necessarily, but they're pl certainly plausible. <coughs> One is, like Rashi brings down the Mechilta, and Seshvatim, I'm not talking about the gods because they don't exist, but the statues do. And the statues are all over the place. So what does Rashi say? Again, it's a Mechilta. Elohim Yitzram, Shal Eitz near Kevis, Shamatechas Nimsis Menitchis Lars. Any idol made out of wood will rot. Meaning overnight. And anything made out of metal will melt and be poured in the ground. So that's another way of saying that when the Jews leave Egypt, you'll see stuff happens to the statues, to the idols. Not to the gods, because there aren't any. Get my point? And Seshvatim sounds like Hashem is going to take all the different gods of Egypt and, you know, really go to work on them. No, they they don't exist. But the images do, the pyramids do, and all that other stuff. And that, I, God, can cause, you know, uh, them to look bad by physically destroying them. Eitzner Kevis, Matechus Nimsis, and so forth and so on. Uh, so all the grand glories of Egypt in terms of religious architecture, and that was the grand glory of Egypt, simply turns out to be, you know, Eitzner Kevis and Matechus Nimsis, uh, you know, rotted and melted and so on and so forth. So it's just very interesting that that's one way of dealing with it. So when it says, El Hei Mitzrayim Eseshvatim, he doesn't really mean the gods of Egypt, because again, for the tenth time, there aren't any. Right? <laughs> you understand? I realize the slaves may have believed in it, and Pharaoh believed in it, and all the rest. I get that, but it's not true anyway. <laughs> Even if a whole bunch of people believe in the tooth fairy, it doesn't mean it's real. You see? So um, that's why they say religion is the opium of the masses. So, um, so what does it mean over here? I will cause Pyro to let the Jews go. They'll go lead, a, lead Egypt with a lot of gold and silver and stuff like that. And all the idols will melt or, or you know, fall apart. Overnight. 
So it's at midnight. When the, the, the firstborn are being killed, right? So at the same time, you'll see statues fall on the ground or something like that. You know the story in Shemul Alf with Dagon, the fish god of, uh, what was it, Ekron or something, where the Philistines captured the ark and brought it back to the city, and God made it that the idol, Dagon, should fall down as it bowing down to the, uh, uh, you know, to the Mishkan, to the uh, Aaron and all the rest of it, and happened repeatedly. So, something along those lines, you know, something along those lines. That's one way of dealing with it. A second way of dealing with it, Again, if you surveyed him before Shem, is to say the following: Elohim The Elohim are like the words he sometimes finds in the Bible. Doesn't mean God, but it means powerful people, the power elites. Well, so that would, I mean, in other words, and from a strictly Pashim shop point of view, that kind of works. And the big shots in Egypt, you know, like it says, Elohim lo sekaliel, don't curse a, a judge. Elohim, not Elohim. Elohim, loshen chol, can, you know, mean a lot of things. And uh, and therefore, again, if you go with that shot, you, you avoid all the theological problems. Because you're not really saying, I'm going to punish the gods of Egypt, the powerful people in Egypt. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punish the powerful people in Egypt, you know. Uh, so that's a different story. Okay? That's a different story. Uh, the Ibn Ezra, again, trying to wiggle out of this problem, and he's a Pashtun when he can be, says, Yesham Shakosim Mitzrayim al Elohim, Be Makas Bechorim, Be Shkisim That when God says, I will destroy uh, the gods of Egypt, it doesn't mean, as I've said until this moment, that all of a sudden, poof, you know, uh, all, the, all the idols will fall down or get leprosy on them or some other junk like they become repulsive. And it all happens sort of like in one time, in one minute, and that'll be Yad Hashem. You get it? Uh, no. Ebenezer says no. Uh, it could be that God will so play with their minds of the Egyptians that when the Makas Bechorus happens and uh, they start kill all these uh, babies, Egyptian babies die. So, um, the the survivors, you know, uh, will go to the uh, uh, idols and say, "You did not protect my child." You get it? And from will destroy you. So, David Ezra is suggesting a shot which didn't happen, but it's a very plausible. Except the Iker Chasam and Sefer, you know, uh, it doesn't describe an incident like that happening. It is plausible, I think, and that's why David Ezra comes up with it. But, you know, what, what's going over here? Because, as you know, in really reality, um, they were able to hold out. Well, I'm sorry, I'm a little punch drunk tonight. Uh, but what, what the uh, what the other unfortunately are trying to say is that it doesn't mean you'll do anything to the gods, but you do anything to the powerful people. And that way you get out of the problem as well. Uh, as I said before, the Ebenezer puts a spin on it that the Egyptians themselves will be the ones who do the destroying. Not the way the others understand it, which is instantaneously or something like that. When the other, uh, you know, Marcus Bacharis and all the rest of it, uh, all the firstborn perish, and the Jews are being saved and having the Seder. Meanwhile, in Egyptian land, in their circles, 
uh, you know, the, the so many families will be bereft of a child or more that they'll all, you know, go and desecrate their own religious uh, sites. Well, yeah, it's imagine. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Uh, you know, that, that, that's a mahalik too. There's another way of understanding it, which is what I think. And that is, uh, look, we're dealing with something subjective and not objective. Obviously, the team God says, I'm going to punish or bring the justice to the gods of Egypt. Like I said before, there aren't any. So what are you going? So what are you going to do? The answer is you're going to do a paula, which has the effect on the people of showing that their god has no power or something like that, right? That their god is 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 a fake. No, there's mamish nothing there like the Wizard of Oz. Uh, that's 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 how that would go. Now, how would, how would that uh, play itself out? You know, wow, I'm really woozy. Comes this time of the evening, I guess. Oh, yeah, because you get up early in the morning and it's, uh, it's not thinking straight. But what I want to uh, get across is that you're dealing over here. Here's what I think. You're dealing with it with a cultural process, with a uh, civilizational process. What do you mean? What does that mean? I'm going to discredit the gods of Egypt in, in the minds of their followers. Now, um, there's two ways of approaching that. One is, and again, here's a whole bunch of mafarshim that go this way, when it says the gods of Egypt, the Sari Hamilo. We know from the book of Daniel, and therefore in rabbinical literature, in Chazal, elsewhere, that, you know, you have a concept of Sarshal Esau, Sarshal Mitzrayim, Sarshal Yovan, and that means that in another dimension of existence, there's like representation of that particular Uma nation, and uh, what happens downstairs is a manifestation of what happens to the one upstairs. So let's say there's an angel upstairs, which means not upstairs, but in a different dimension. And let's say, for argument's sake, that angel did something wrong and got a slap on the face from Hashem. Again, I'm just making this up. That would rep- that would uh, express itself in a tsunami or an earthquake or uh, you know global warming down here for that particular continent or that particular group. The scientists would look for scientific explanations, which are not necessarily false. But the you know a couple will say, "I know why it real happened." You, you understand? You know, you look at it that way. And so uh, there was a major discrediting of the power of the gods of Egypt at the time of Pesach because he couldn't stop the Jews from doing anything, couldn't stop the Rebbeinu from doing anything. He's killing the firstborn, and he couldn't do anything. And so, what I'm trying to say is, when you think of this historically, or at least I do, it's fascinating because there's such a thing called the history of religions. I actually have to do a talk on this, I guess, next Shabbos, B'Shalach, when I'll be in the Greenspring area, Ranchley over there, uh, Prescon residence. But there's such a thing called the history of religions. That is to say, belief systems come and go throughout history, or rise and fall. Or stronger or weaker at different times. Right? You can hear that. Uh, what's fascinating is that sometimes there's a belief system that people were literally Moser Nefesh for once upon a time, and a generation or two later, or a little later, whatever, it's totally discredited. Nobody believes it in the slightest. Okay? Uh, just off the top of my head, this is not a good example, but I'm going to use it anyway. There was a time 100 years ago that people believed in communism. I know it's not a religion. Believe communism and literally or most are nefesh for it. 
They fought heroically. They lived lives of self-sacrifice. They did all kinds of things because they believed in the communist ideal. It was a certain Avodah Zorah. But today, their grandchildren say, Ooh, my grandfather was like nuts. You know, it was like a weird. Uh, he believed in that stuff. He said it's the worst thing that can happen to a belief system. They become so discredited that it simply becomes out of fashion. You know, out of use. Like, yeah, once upon a time, people believed in Tooth Fairy, but, but now we know better. So... This can happen in the history of religions. They rise and fall. Uh, and the suggestion, therefore, is whatever the existing religious structures are in Egypt, I'm going to bring them Shvatim, and they will lose creds in the eyes of their own followers, and therefore they won't be able to survive in the long run. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that. And to 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 uh, coordinate it exactly with Egyptology is extremely difficult, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, if you know anything about Velikovsky and the other things, it's hard to get the dates right over there. Even though many books present you with what they think are the correct dates of the different pharaohs, uh, you know, be that as it may. But I think we all know that you know, in 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 Europe, for example, some of they carry forth the scientific ball, and so ideas and belief systems that were around once, at different times in history later on, simply not believed in anymore. You get it? Uh, there's the rise and the fall of ideas. And the Egyptian religions, which are ancient and long-lasting, all the rest of it, Hashem says, I'll bring judgments on them. That is to say, the way I'm going to conduct myself in Egypt is going to be so powerful that the, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to make the case that there are gods in Egypt. Because what I'm going to do is when he's so manifest, Anivolo Malach, Anivolo Shliach, it's going to be so manifest that it will not be possible to, to ascribe this to some intermediate cause. That's what I think the Shliach business is. And, uh, you know, you look at Rashi, and we all say in the when it gets to El Mitzrayim, it says Anivolo Malach, Anivolo Shliach, Anivolo this, meaning that you're going to see that what happens in Egypt cannot be ascribed to secondary causes. The firstborn will not die in a plague, even though we use the word plague, but, you know, in English, plague sounds like an illness. They didn't all catch something and, and then wither away. They all die at the same time. So, if everybody who has a certain characteristic, an Egyptian Bukhar, just drops dead, that already, you say, well, somebody's in charge, you know, somebody powerful out there is doing this. And uh, if they cannot block it, and, and you and I know they could not block it, as time went on, you know, people began to believe you can't simply, um, you know, repress things. I mean, they, they, they are there. So th those belief systems went into in, into a crisis. And after a while, in, in many cases, not overnight, they disappeared. In other words, theologies and ideas that once upon a time were considered uh, vital and, uh, you know, real and answering challenges, things like this, later or not. And so what Hashem is saying over here, I'm going to bring the Egyptian system into disrepute. Uh, now, did he do that? I don't know. Meaning, I don't have any historical evidence because there's no historical evidence that there ever was the Yitzhak Mitzrayim or Moshe Rabbeinu ever existed. There's no historical evidence. I've said this a thousand times. There never was any evidence of anything in the Book of Shmos, okay? Uh, we believe because it's in the Torah, but there's no outside evidence for it. And yet, at the same time, Roughly speaking, not exactly at that time, roughly speaking, you do find a number of pharaohs, Akhenaten, for example, uh, 
who reject the gods and instead favor like one, if I remember correctly, it was the sun god or something like that. Ra, you know. And uh, it's called the whole hobalu in Egypt because whenever you challenge an, an, an existing religious structure, there's a lot of uh, vested interests in there. You know, the priests own land and they own the property and things like that. They're going to be the ones that fight you tooth and nail. You know, <laughs> that's the way it goes. And uh, nevertheless, you and I know there was the ten plagues and there was the Marcus Bacharis and all the rest of that sort of thing. Uh, the arrogance of the gods of Egypt, that is to say, the arrogance that, that made their worshippers think that they're hot stuff, uh, that I will destroy. And I'm going to do it directly now through a malach. So you won't be able to say in this case that the reason this went into desuetude was like you find elsewhere, let's say, for example, in European history or something like that, where the old religious ideas were supplanted by new ones. Here it would be one old idea supplanted by another. And, of course, one of them is the Yiddishkeit, but I'm just saying one, one old idea should be supplanted by another. So the result's going to be pretty remarkable. So we have now, like, several different approaches. Maybe it means the powerful ones in Egypt... Uh, maybe it means we said before, you know, the, um, what was it again? The, uh, physical idols in Egypt. Maybe it means that he'll bring into disrepute the, the system because everybody's going to have to be do the working now. And, uh, unlike what it was before, and that'll lead people to come totally alienated from these gods. Or maybe the Egyptians themselves, the Goyim, were so shocked by the ability of Moshe to pull off these these plagues, which, let's face it, the main, I mean, it's an interesting situation. The main villain was Pharaoh, but the ones who suffered in the nine plagues, first nine plagues, was not Pharaoh, really, but it was the, uh, you know, the Egyptians out there, the ones that sheep and cattle and all this sort of thing. Remember, he said, Ayori Svarshem, Ho'ez is Mikno Basada, or something like that. If you want to save your animal... Who doesn't? If you want to save your animal, uh, you know, put it. What was it? In a, you know, tie it up and put it somewhere safe, uh, so that it'll be able to survive. See, my head's not working. It's funny. Uh, so hold on. Oh, so maybe I'm speaking a little confusedly. The point is that we do know in the ancient Egyptian times, around this time, not exactly, that there was a religious crisis, and some of the pharaohs challenged the system. Eventually it was over, you know, it was suppressed. But why would there be, in this particular Tukufa, or around that Tukufa, people questioning the religious status quo? After all, the pharaohs and the elders are the ones who benefited from them. Unless you say, I bring the whole uh, Egyptian god system under Mishpat, and therefore the people themselves will start to disbelieve in it. And even if, right, even if, uh, you know, to continue to follow it, it won't be with the same oomph. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm too lazy to go and chase down all the exact religious developments that happened in what the 18th dynasty or something like that in Egypt. But stuff was happening, and um, the status quo was being challenged. The, the 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 challenge was resisted by the priesthood naturally. Remember, Yosef was smart enough. Not to tick off the priesthood, but uh, some of the other pharaohs weren't. And uh, the result was that you had, uh, you know, religious problems.
Now, in the long, long run, these religious problems were like supplanted by the Greek conquest much, much later. Uh, but the seeds of it you find now. So in other words, I'm going to bring about the beginning of the unraveling of the Egyptian god system. And uh, today it's just not there. Because Egypt, you know, uh, fell apart as, as far as the pagan entity is concerned and switched to uh, the Muslims and the Christians. And it did two strong teams that rocked the place in the Middle Ages. So, uh, you see, this Pusik is very suggestive. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, it's very suggestive. The uncle says it was idols. That's like the Michelta. But others have different opinions on them. And it nevertheless remains strange uh, that God would say, I'm going to punish the idols of Egypt, unless the final shot is that, you know, the Jews believed in it. Get it? The Jews believed in it. This was the problem. There's a famous Pusik, that the Jews when they left Egypt believed in the, in the Egyptian gods, as is reflected in the Egalazov episode, and later also. So, Hashem uh, says, I don't give a darn about the Egyptians, but I want to break the stranglehold that the gods of Egypt have on the mind of the Hebrews. You understand? I'm going to expose them a certain helplessness. I'll bring punishment on them, uh, which doesn't mean he's punished the gods because there aren't any, but uh, he'll, he'll bring them into disrepute. Let's put it this way. And hopefully, hopefully, that will lead the Jews, you know, not to forden that particular Avodah As I said, it's easier said than done. And once you've been raised several generations believing the Egyptian gods, it's hard to say the whole thing, Mamash, doesn't exist. You know, doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm sure I must have told you a story. But I'll say it again anyway. I heard it from Rottenberg about Rabbi Sternhill. It was a big uh, rabbi in Baltimore, you know. Uh, art Scroll made a biography of him. Uh, I think it was Art Scroll. And uh, he was a big Talmud Chachman, you know, Charles and Tubas and everything. And from Munkash. And the story was that he went through the Holocaust and he survived the war. And after the war, he emerged, you know, from concentration camps or whatever. And he was in Milan in Italy, as many DPs were. And he runs across, this is 45, late 45. And he runs across a guy he hasn't seen in many years, who long ago in Munkach was a Havrusa with him, but then went totally off the derch. Such things happen. Now, they see each other, and although one is dressed Hasidically and all that, and the other one is not, nevertheless, they're both Jewish, they both just went and survived the Holocaust, and they both come from Munkach, you know, so they fall on each other's, uh, you know, necks, and they hug and kiss each other and things like that. And so let's go and have a coffee or tea or something like that and talk. And obviously, you know, uh, the white elephant on the table didn't take up the conversation. Why are you not from? But after a while, shooting the bull on this and that and the other, Robbie Sternhill asked the guy, he said, you know, how could, what happened with you? You know, how could you become this the way you are? And the guy answered him, according to the story I heard. The guy answered him as follows. Herzegheim, listen, neither of us is going to Ganadin. Right? Why? The guy said, like this, look at me. I'm not going to Ganadin. Of course not. I do all Daveris. Makes sense. And you're not going to Ganadin. He said, why not? 
Es ist nicht doch. <laughs> doesn't exist. Because the guy was atheist. So you can do all the mitzvahs in the world. Doesn't mean anything, but it doesn't exist. So Judaism obviously doesn't agree with that particular point of view. But it does agree with the point of view would apply to the gods of Egypt. It just doesn't exist. So there's a whole elaborate belief system, but it's, just, it, 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 it's not really there. And that, I think, is Esesh Fatim, to demonstrate to them that it's, it's not even there. Now, it's easier said than done, and just because you prove something to somebody doesn't mean that emotionally they, they accept it. And as I said before, from the emotional point of view, you know, you can understand, from the emotion, emotional point of view, they, they, you know, they, they continue to believe these things. As people do when it comes to religious matters, they hold on to long-standing beliefs, even though they, you know, it kind of lost its vitality for them. Uh, but on the other hand, God makes it there. He says, meaning the, the nature of the plagues is going to be such, the Malchus is going to be such, that will be clear it's not from an extra cause, it's not from a, a disease, a COVID or something like that. Everybody's just going to drop dead all at one time. That will show that there's a supernatural power over there. And whereas the gods of Egypt, as I tried to make the other case, the case the other day, operate successfully within Teva, the god we're talking about, now Zabon Shalom, is beyond Teva because he created it. Right? Now, it's a heavy idea, but uh, at least it'll be manifested in a negative sense of Es Eshvatim on the Hashem. That's what I think it means. It's actually a very intriguing kind of a topic. And I thank Maisha Garden and Sai Kata for sponsoring today. And let's see if we have anybody else who will this week. And uh, I do want to thank everybody. Uh, it's a red letter day in my house. My daughter Rifka had a baby boy today. And uh, they're still in the hospital. Let's see. Mir Sashem, everything will come to bris. I'll be in the right time and all the rest of it. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.